0: Welcome to the Odds Audibles podcast. My premier, Eric Jared, back on the show today, Tuesday afternoon edition of the podcast. Uh, we've been able to talk with Dan Lanning. We've been able to watch Oregon's early parts of practice. Uh, we were able to get some information on injuries from an Oregon perspective, as well as Eric went back and watched the Deion Sanders press conference from Tuesday morning to get some information from there. So, A lot to get you up to speed on around this weekend's football game between the Ducks and the Buffaloes. Number 10, Oregon. Number 19, Colorado. First time that these two teams have been ranked in the same game since January 1st, 2002, the Fiesta Bowl. When Oregon was two, Colorado was three. Uh, Let's first start, guys, with uh, is this personal um, comments is there going to be any trash talk through the media? And it feels like no. Uh, on Monday, Dan was asked about uh, his comments back on August 4th, I believe, um, about Colorado's impending departure from what was at one time viewed as the Pac-10, Pac-9 at that point. And he said, you know, by asking another question, like, what have they accomplished since their arrival on the Pac 12? Uh, he was asked about those comments if he regretted it, ba- seeing how it fueled Colorado from other coaches making comments about the buffs, whether it was uh, Jay Norvell this past week against Col- from Colorado State or Matt Rule from Nebraska. Um, and he said no. And he stood by what he said. And then Dion, uh, Eric's got the quotes here from this. Dion was also asked about it, and it kind of put everything to bed.
1: Yeah, I apologize. There's now two leaf blowers, a, a lawn mower, a lot of yard work being done outside of my uh, location. So I apologize for any uh, poor audio quality here, um, or if I don't hear you guys because I can barely hear myself right now. But, um, yeah, no, there was an interesting back and forth here. And I think the irony of the whole Dan Oregon Media Day, which was July 31st, is that he was defending the pack nine, which about a week later no longer existed. So the comments he made, which again, were intended to kind of protect the brand, the conference, like that was pretty short lived and comments. He probably doesn't make one week later, but this has been brought up over and over. You've seen on social media, we yeah. predicted this would happen. We knew this would happen, but uh, Dan's comment on Monday night. No, I don't regret anything that I've said for this program. At the end of the day, obviously, I wasn't talking about Dion's team. I was talking about the past and the future for our team. But if that serves as material for them, great. I don't think it's going to have any bearing on the game or the success of the game. Uh, Dion asked, by the way, I thought this was interesting. I did listen to the entirety of that press conference 21 minutes, one Oregon question. I don't know uh, if they'll get more questions later in the week about. Colorado's next opponent but there was one question it was like the second last question and it was framed around if if Dan's comments were going to be taken personally by Dion and Dion shot that down pretty quickly he said I respect the heck out of this man and what he's accomplished stepping in and taking over and keeping it not only rocking steady but accelerating it I respect the heck out of him I love what he's accomplishing I love who he is and the way he runs his team I love the way he operates I have a lot of respect for him so I think there was maybe a little bit of hope nationally that we'd get the back and forth that sort of dominated the national discourse between, as Matt said, Colorado and Nebraska and then even more so this last week, Colorado and Colorado State. That's not going to be the case this week. That kind of is put to bed. We'll see. Maybe these two coaches will speak later in the week and and the discourse will change. But as of right now, kind of tamer than maybe some people nationally want it to be. But this is the right thing. This is focusing on this game, which is still too – Top 20 teams squaring off on Saturday. So um, I'm sure that tweet will continue to surface of, of Dan talking about Colorado and, and everything, but it doesn't seem like it really chaps either too much.
2: And it, it shouldn't. I mean, this, there's no reason for this to get personal. Like this is Dion's first year in the conference. It's obviously Dan's second. I know his comments in media day were said, but it really – really wasn't anything then. It's just, you know, the coach finally decides to speak his own mind for the first time in a year and a half. And so that's what happens is you get a huge media rush and the Colorado State that actually was personal. Like Jay Norvell went out there. He's like, you know, uh, we, we show respect. We don't wear hats and glasses in our, meet- or in our interviews or whatever the case may be. Like that's a direct shot at Deion Sanders for his, his glasses, his hat wearing, his his swag that he has that he goes out, out there on the field with, like, he looks like a million bucks every time he steps out there. I I, th- I just think Jaden Orbell is jealous, but, like, those are direct shots at a person, at a program. Dan's not doing that. Dan's never done that. I don't, like, I don't remember any time where it's like, oh, that was a slight at this person. Like, Mario did that every once in a while, usually with Washington, but... I don't think Dan's done that once. Like he's obviously been like, you know, obviously like the pro Oregon, like we want to beat our rivals. We want to do these things. Like we don't like the team up North in Seattle. Like the, the very prototypical, like politician type of uh, indulging in this kind of trash talk, but it's never been personal. It's not going to be personal this week. I'd be extremely surprised if Dan came out on Wednesday and was all of a sudden taking shots at Colorado because there's no reason to Colorado's a fun program. They draw eyeballs. I mean, over 9 million people watched their last game against Colorado State at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Like, you don't want any negative energy going into this. Just focus on the game. go win, and then you move on. And maybe a little bit different with Prime, if he does something on Thursday or whenever he talks next, but I'd be shocked there, too. Like, this is going to be – this is a conference play. This is no longer Colorado State. Like, this is when, you know, rubber meets the road. Like, you have to do well here. So – the less trash talk I think
0: is just going to be the better option for both of these programs. Yeah. That was something that Dan talked about in another light Monday night was like, Hey, preseason's over. It's conference. Mm -hmm. It's conference season time. It's, you know, if you're not ready now, you're in, you're in trouble because while there are teams that have aspirations of playing for a championship, national championship, Oregon is one of them. Everyone has that aspiration. Some are realistic and some aren't. And, you know, for Oregon, it is. And they had to go 3-0 and in non-conference play to continue that expectation. But for everybody, everyone has a chance to win a league championship. And these games matter way more than the non-con. And you have to be ready to go. And it feels like, you know, through Dan's press conference on Monday, even going back to after Hawaii, uh, and then speaking with players today, everyone is prepared or as at least focused on being prepared for what happens between the lines. And they're not worrying about anything that happens outside of that. Um, players talk when they talked about Colorado uh, after the Hawaii win, that's what they said. Um, they're just focused on the next opponent who happens to be Colorado. It's a big game. They're excited. Dan Lanning said the same thing. He said he had a lot of respect for what Deion Sanders has been able to do and be able to accomplish as a head coach. Uh, and then today Bo Nix and Casey Rogers, two seniors on this team, offense and defense spoke and they echoed those same comments. They're all focused on just preparing for the actual game. And, you know, I think Bo said paraphrasing, like they'll let, they'll let the fans and the media and whatever else, you know, take part in the, in the back and forth or, you know, the the outside noise discussions. And they're just literally focused on winning a football game. That means a lot to this program from a, competing standpoint.
1: And I guess the only Colorado player that I was able to kind of get some quotes from was Shiloh Sanders, who said, he's not worried about Oregon's uniforms because apparently that was the question, the way it was framed. He's just worried about winning the football game. So to Matt's point, yeah, the outside noise, which you can also hear uh, on my end of the recording, not bothering anybody for this football game either. No, and it it just
0: shouldn't be. Let's uh, transition now to injuries, um, some more positive movement for Oregon. We were at practice today. Eric has the practice report up on duckterritory.com. Um, let's start here, and then we'll shift over to Colorado and the impact there because there's a big one. But from an Oregon perspective, things continue to get good.
1: Yeah, Jared, you would just want to run through this while maybe this leaf blower thing runs down because I'm having a hard time hearing myself. I think you have the information on Oregon, and I can share what was said at Dion's thing.
2: Yeah, of course. Uh, the only missing player, or I guess there were two missing players, uh, offensive lineman Lipe Mawala. We haven't seen him for a bit. And kicker Andrew Boyle. We also haven't seen him for a bit. So those are the only two guys that were missing from practice today on Tuesday. Um, both Justin Jacobs and Nashad Struther were in, in pads, in uniform, in cleats, I think, which is the key barometer in most of these players is the differential between if they're in trainers, which means that they're not going to be out there on the field cutting and moving and everything like that in turf compared to wearing cleats where they can do all of the things that I just mentioned. So those guys were both in cleats. This is the second or third straight practice that we've seen. Justin Jacobs in cleats, I think it's the second, and Nashad Struther, I think it's the second or third as well. So
1: this is uh, the, Dan talked
2: about this. This is the first run. for Nish-
1: This is the first for Nashad that I had seen, which I thought was
2: notable. That is notable. Um Dan had a very quick answer to when he was asked how they're progressing. He just said that they're that they're good. Um, I don't know if that's in terms of how they're progressing or how they're feeling or whatever, but they're good. Uh, just as simple as that. Um, that was a nice sight to see. Uh, I don't know if they'll be active for Saturday's game. I think I'd be pretty surprised by it unless they're, you know they've been practicing behind closed doors at like one hundred percent for the last week or two. Um, because to throw them out there in, in a game like this is going to be a really a tall task to ask of them, uh, especially for Struther, who is an offensive lineman who you need some uh, some some gel there on the offensive line. And who knows, maybe he'll, he'll be a second or a first team guy. We'll find out eventually. And then for Jacobs, kind of the same ideas like you need. This is his first year in this defense. Bassa and company have been doing just fine. So I'm, I'd be surprised if they go into that into this Colorado week, even playing. Hopefully they suit up because that'll be the first time we see either of these guys in an Oregon uniform. Uh, other names, uh, Chris Hudson was out there. I'm sure people care about that. Uh, he's been out there for a while. We've been reporting on it for a while, but people either don't listen or don't read. He was out there. He was returning kicks. Um, uh, nothing really else from a personnel standpoint from what I remember. Uh, we Everybody else was, was in there and in cleats. Eric, do you have anything? Because I, I think that covers it.
1: Oh, the only thing I wanted to say is that it looked like both Justin and Ishad for non-contact were taking part in the drills, but then when they moved into some contact stuff, that mod back broad jack, dra- sorry mod bracket drill, Justin was off to the side and Ishad didn't take part in the other drill on the other side, which was light contact uh, just between the mm-hmm. offensive linemen. So, sort of gives you maybe a sense of where they're at. And I will be curious to see Jared kind of pointed it out, like when they are cleared for competition how quickly they're kind of integrated into the offense and the defense, because those are two players going into the season we thought would start. I don't know if I would count on either doing that for a bit, and maybe you try to get them a little run if they're available this weekend or against Stanford. So coming out of the bye week before uh, they play Washington, you can maybe get them more involved. But um, certainly things seem to be headed in the right direction.
2: And for, for the Colorado perspective, the big name, Travis Hunter is out. Uh, he took a late, cheap shot hit against Colorado State. Um, a, a lacerated liver, I believe, was a diagnosis. I think the first person to say that like publicly was Skip Bayless. So that was a funny thing that I saw on Twitter the other day. Um, he's out. I, I don't think that Dion gave a clarification of how long he's out for. What I saw was three weeks. Could be more, could be less. Regardless, though, he's going to be out against Oregon, um, which is a shame because that was going to be a great matchup between he and Troy Franklin. Uh, Dion just said that Travis is doing great. Uh, he's at home. He's doing schoolwork, playing video games, and being Travis. We saw Travis Hunter yesterday on the Bleacher Report live stream talk about his injury and, and say that he's doing better and was discharged from the hospital after the Saturday night game against Colorado State. So it's good on their front that he's progressing and he's getting healthier. Bad on this week's front that he won't be playing against Oregon. Uh, Dion said that the cornerback battle uh, or position will be kind of by committee, uh, which is – An interesting note, considering that Oregon's pass offense is pretty darn good. Um, Without Hunter, it's it's certainly a huge hit for Colorado's defense. Uh, The other guy, Alton McCaskill, I believe is how you pronounce it. The transfer running back from Houston. As a freshman in Houston, he had over 1,000 yards total offense. I think like 970-something, 950-something on the ground, a couple hundred through the air. Um, He's working off a torn ACL that he suffered last season. He, Dion said that his yellow jersey, which is like the red jersey for Oregon, has been taken off. He's been in full contact for this week, so we'll see if he'll be able to go. Him and Edwards are going to be the two running backs there if he is able to go. Um, we'll just have to see if he if he's a full go come Saturday. But that would be uh, for Colorado a very welcomed addition into
0: their backfield.
1: Yeah, the, the, uh, um, McClain. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna. I was gonna. That was where I was going. So go ahead, Matt.
0: Yeah, Camarone McLean, the guy that I think I brought up on Monday, um, number one player in the country at cornerback from the previous recruiting class, five-star freshman hasn't played, and Dion said he isn't ready yet, and that it's up to him to. He's the reason why he's not ready yet. So didn't really dive much into there, um, but he shouldn't be expected to play. Um, maybe something happens crazy, and and he does, but. To, to bank on Kamani McClain, either Dion's playing games and not, you know, telling the hand or, which I think is happening, he's being truthful and he's just being honest that, hey, this guy's just not ready to play. Which we were talking about this uh, at practice um, or at before practice. was like if there's something going on here because if he's talented and how often do you see a number one player at a position show up and – not be able to play, especially on a (laughs) – I've got an answer.
2: Dickie? Maybe not the number one position guy, but – Yeah, I was just going to say. Dante Manning.
0: Yeah. Well, I was also going to say on a defense as bad as Colorado's. Oregon's defense was not close to being as bad as Colorado's. Um, In mm, 2020, that was – That season. That was a tough defense, (laughs) man. Well, I mean, in 2020, Manning also had a pull hamstring week two. So that also hurt things for him Mm -hmm. as well. Um, But nonetheless, Colorado's defense is terrible. McLean is not playing, and something is Mm -hmm. amiss there.
1: Um, Travis J is the name to know based upon Deion's comments to maybe fill in. He's also, it sounds like, battling some sort of an injury, but um, sounded like that was, it's a Florida State transfer, a former top 60 recruit, like a pretty big time prospect. Um, sounds mm-hmm. like he might be the the name to know there
0: and that's gonna be like probably one of the biggest matchups questions you have going into this game is you know Colorado State destroyed Colorado's defense with the crossing routes with the short passing game um the tackling in space and now with without Travis hunter, you know can oregon exploit that and On the flip side, what does Colorado do to change things up to to make an impact there? Because that will be something Oregon will try and test, and Colorado knows that. So the chess game has already begun there. All right. uh, Colorado preview, a little little bit of look ahead. Um, Dan talked a little bit about both sides of the football. He he talked um, about the quarterback. We got some thoughts on the defense, the receivers. Um, Eric has also dived into some PFF research here. Um, but first, let's let's go with um, Shadour, the quarterback for Colorado. I I think Casey Rogers said it kind of best. Like everyone knew he was good at the FCS level, but they were kind of an unknown and. Through three through three weeks now at the FBS level, he has looked absolutely tremendous. Um, I, I hesitate to call him like maybe the three best, one of the three best quarterbacks in the country. But like, how do you not also kind of at least pose that question? I mean, Caleb Williams is out there, Drake May is out there, but then after that, it's kind of like pick your poison. It could be Michael Penix, it could be Shadur, it it could be Bo Nix, it. it you, know, you you could have a bunch of options the thing that is true though is he is absolutely dynamic and his ability to stay in, i think dan said he he is elusive but not to run but just to extend plays and yeah. that's probably one of his biggest skill sets is that he keeps his eyes down the field when he scrambles away from pressure and he gets pressured a lot and that's where a lot of their big plays also happen from and he's just Really, really good. I'm, I think everyone will be impressed when you watch this team if you haven't already, of just how in command, how in control, how clutch, and just how good Trudor Sanders is at quarterback.
1: Uh, he's PFF's number two graded quarterback in in the country, and he's the number one graded in this conference. And this conference also has the reigning Heisman Trophy winner. It has Michael Penix. It has Bo Nix. Like I know. Three game sample size. You want to see more? I would be surprised probably if by the end of the season he's still ranked second nationally and first in the Pac 12 because there's some dudes, especially in this conference. But through three weeks, he's been nothing short of magnificent. And he gives them a chance to win every week, right? Like they, that Colorado State game, it needed, he needed to be miraculous for them to win. Like they, that was a game that they were backs against the wall. He drives them down the field, all passes and, less than two minutes, and also converts to two-point conversion. He was money on that drive. He was money in the overtimes. Really, really, really high-end player. He's got good players around him. You know, They basically went and raided um, South Florida's receiving core and took their top two receivers from the last two years, uh, Jimmy Horn Jr. Um, and Xavier Weaver. Weaver uh, had, had over 700 yards consecutive years at South Florida. That's certainly a name to know. Um, he has picked up right where he's left off at Colorado. I think over 95 yards in all three games. He is PFF's seventh best receiver in the Pac-12. And again, there's a lot of really good receivers in this conference. Um, Weaver is certainly going to be one of the better guys Oregon faces on the outside this year. That's, that's a name to know. I will be curious to see how Oregon defends him. But to your point, Matt, on Shador, like it's... It's pretty cool just from an outsider's perspective when the son of a legendary player ends up being a guy himself. And we don't necessarily see that all that often. You think about some of the legendary professional athletes and and their kids, and you've got certainly some players that have been incredibly successful that have been you know, children of professional athletes, but it's not always like the superstar, superstar guy like this. And so for Shador to... To live up to what he has and to become the player he has and to have that fan base fired up the way it is like that's a hat tip that that guy's a player and i'm super impressed because to the point matt kind of made at the beginning you don't know how it's going to translate from fcs to power five football and so far it's looked pretty darn seamless this will be the biggest test so far um but really, I think for Colorado to have any chance in winning this game, Shador needs a Heisman type of performance. He needs to be incredible. He needs to replicate the type of numbers, the type of performance he's had so far. I don't know if the three of us expect that, but I do expect him to be a real challenge for Oregon and and certainly the best quarterback they've faced so far this season.
2: It's just another name to the list for Oregon and having to deal with elite quarterbacks. It's going to, they're going to hit basically all of them in college football this year, except for Drake may or maybe um, Leonard at Duke. Shador has been that guy. He's been unbelievable this season. You know, just his counting stats, he's got 1251 yards passing 10 touchdowns, only one interception. He's completing 78.7% of his passes as well. Like, it's just elite efficiency. And, and you watch their offense, and it's a, it's a really interesting one. Um, it's a lot of spread. They're not going to run the ball a lot just because they their offensive line isn't great at, at run blocking. Um, it happens to the best of us. It happens with a rebuilding team like that, but it just doesn't matter. I mean, you watch that 98-yard drive from Shador and, and Colorado against Colorado State. Like his, uh, I think it was like a second or third down, that bullet down the sideline. That was a hell of a pass. And he fits that in the window. He goes through his progressions. He rolls out of the pocket, and he finds a guy basically across his body down to the left sideline that goes all the way down for a touchdown. Like, that was an unbelievable throw and an unbelievable moment where the game's on the line. If he doesn't make that throw, Colorado loses, and then this game loses all of its luster as well. He's going to be sensational. Um, I'm very interested to see how Oregon defends him because no one has defended him well this year. At Nebraska did for like a quarter. Uh, TCU never did. Uh, he just put up stats after stats after stats and made and made all of these games in favor of Colorado because without him, I don't know where this team is. And you can look at Shador and how he was going to translate from the FC level, FCS level as Colorado as a whole. It's like, well, we don't really know what we're going to get from this team. And then you see him do well, and all of a sudden you see Colorado do well. I, I just his, his ceiling is great. I mean, he's gone from unranked on Mel Kuiper Jr.'s draft board to like a top 10 guy overall. And you just see why every single week on tape. So I'm really excited to watch him play. I'm really excited to see how Oregon kind of defends him, and Weaver and all their other guys as well on the outside. You know, They ran a lot of press man coverage against Hawaii. Maybe they do something similar if they feel like they have the personnel against Colorado. Maybe they just showed that last week to just drop into zone and, and switch opportunity. Who knows? It's just going to be fun. And watching Shador, like the the, the quarterbacks that we, us three, and all the Oregon fans get to watch,
0: if they can appreciate it, what a year. All right, good gracious sakes, live. And then we haven't even mentioned, I mean, to Jared's point, they don't try to run the ball too much, but we haven't mentioned Dylan Edwards, um, their freshman running back who. Dan said maybe the fastest player on the football field at all times if if he steps on the field he's probably going to be the fastest guy. Um Oregon tried to recruit him coming out of high school. Um he grew up in the state of Kansas, flipped very late uh, and he's a passing threat for Colorado. I mean he he has 136 yards rushing and one touchdown, but he has more more receiving yards, 160 on just 14 catches and three touchdowns. All three came against TCU, I believe, uh, if, if I'm right. I know he scored yeah. three against – he scored three against TCU. I think they were all catches, though. Um, but another guy that you just have to to be a, an account for because of his speed and his playmaking ability. And, yeah, maybe he's not going to be a, a huge threat to run the ball, but it's, it's the same thing we talked about with Bucky Irving. Out of the pack field and those little dump off things. You just make one guy miss and Bucky's going to get a first down. And he's got that same capability of if he makes one or two guys miss, he, he could be gone for a really long game because of the speed.
1: And then the other player on offense that I wanted to mention is our left tackle. He's six foot 10. Dan has not been asked about this six foot 10 person. Uh, unlike the six foot 10 person for uh, Texas tech uh, Gerard. Lichtenley? He kind of was. He kind
0: of was because ask- it, Gerard was the guy that said the that the defensive line for Oregon wasn't very good last year and he was, he
1: right. was asked about, <laughs> he was asked about he was asked about Ger- Gerard being sick he was asked
0: about not 610 but he was just asked about him specifically of like did you take this personally from what he said last year and he said he said no not really they're not gonna get into that and in case he was asked about it too today and he said no
1: and Gerard was One of the very few carryovers from last year's not good Colorado team. He's PFF's number three ranked offensive tackle in the conference right now. So he's played very, very well. Um, Colorado does not run the ball effectively. we talked about that. Their pass protection has been, I think, pretty decent at times. They've also had games where it's not been great. Um, But he certainly hasn't been the problem. Just kind of doing a a look at the – uh pff grades for the offensive line both tackles look to be fine uh Savian washington is not quite as good but the it's the guards uh bailey and bb who are both 61 or worse on pff which is if you don't know for context that's that's not good that's that's quite bad um so i i just wanted to throw that out on offense and i also wanted to kind of circle back like if mccaskill plays i'll be really curious to see what his involvement in the offense is I mean Edwards has been as Matt said have proven already to be really viable in the past game maybe they find a little bit more on the ground if if because Edwards is like what five nine 190 pounds not a mm-hmm. big running back yep. McCaskill's yeah. got a little bit more McCaskey's way little, bigger yeah he's got a little more size a little more pop to him so maybe they find a little bit more on the ground if he's available but I also don't know how much you expect in his first game back from a torn ACL like I, I don't think you expect him to carry it 15 times so
2: no I'm i um i I wouldn't either, but I, and again, I think Colorado's offense ticks off of Shador and his arm. Like it's just such a weapon that while they don't run the ball that much, it's kind of like why where they haven't really needed to, like maybe to get a couple of first downs or maybe get some, get some yards on like a second and long or something, but they're going to ride and die with Shador and, Again, you know, Oregon's past defense has been improved at least through the first three weeks of the season. This is this is again. We've been saying this like every single week now. But here's another test. Here's the big test. Here's the big test yeah. until we hit Washington, and then that's the big test. And then USC down the line. So, but starts on Saturday.
0: Again, okay. Uh, okay, Eric. I'm curious for what you've learned about this defense um, and what PFS has told because. The eye test says they're not very good.
1: The, real, the positive is they have the second best player in the conference on defense, and it's not Travis Hunter, according to PFF. That would be Trevor Woods, who's one of their starting safeties. The secondary, based upon PFF, has been like kind of good, but the rest of it's been not good. And here's just the team grades from PFF on defense. Tenth overall, eighth in tackling, 11th uh, rush defense, fifth, on pass rush and I think that bears out they have gotten home a little bit um in the ninth and coverage. So it's not a very good defense. Matt called it terrible. Uh that probably isn't <laughs> probably isn't wrong, <laughs> being honest. Like they haven't looked good. Um Oregon's offense I think should have success in this game. Um uh, Hunter being out is really significant. They have a lot of, by the way, on defense, really highly regarded transfer players that were like four stars or five stars from like alabama Mm -hmm. and florida state and other major conferences and programs that just aren't playing very much which is something that i think we when we chat with um adam munster teager on wednesday that will kind of want to pick his brain on some of the personnel stuff kind of why that is um because when i was looking through their you know top recruits on the roster thing most of them were on defense, and most of the more recent transfers from big schools that just aren't involved very much. So, um I I'm, I'm, I'm guess I'm more curious on it, like the guy, guys that just like straight up aren't really playing, like savelle Smalls, twenty,
2: 20 snaps,
1: wasn't very good again. It wasn't very good at Washington. Still not much of an impact guy at Colorado. Um, I'm going to butcher the name, the Alabama inside linebacker transfer, Demomboy. That was like a top mm-hmm. fifty kid. Do you, you have a snap? I don't know how many snaps he played, Jared.
2: I'm looking. Can you,
1: can you find I'm him? I don't man. think it's. He might not have played at all. Um, so there's just there's there, some of the personnel, some of like the guys that were exciting in the offseason when they were putting this roster together, just like aren't playing or aren't playing very much. Um, and in fact, their leading tackler is a returning inside linebacker who played pretty minimally last year, and that's Ham the second. Um, so. Defensive stuff is oh, really yeah. interesting. They're, they're, they're not quite it just isn't looking like what I thought it would look like. Yeah, Marvin Ham in second. I couldn't remember the first name. Um he's our uh, leading tackler. But uh yeah, it's 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 an interesting defense from that regard, just from a personal perspective. And again, I, I would like to I'm curious to see what Adam has to say about some of this
2: stuff. It's uh it's an interesting defense. You know, Dan was asked by James Crepio, the Oregonian, like how similar is is this type of defense? Like compared to your defense or Tasha's defense. Cause they're, and Dan replied said that they're cut from the same cloth. And it's Charles Kelly, the guy, or he, or not played, he coached at Alabama. It's a very similar defensive scheme to, to Dan and what he does. And I wonder if it's kind of that like first year new car smell where Oregon's defense did not do great last season, as we all yeah. have talked about. And now that they have the personnel, like, they have kind of figured things out, you know. Again, we'll see at the end of the year if they really did or really didn't. But for the most part, they're playing faster. They understand the defense, and it's working out better. I wonder if it's just kind of like similar to Colorado, where in the transfer portal Dion did not have a lot of time. Kind of similar to what Dan did, he grabbed all the talent he could, which is you know, usually a good idea. And some of it worked, some of it didn't work. And now he'll have a better understanding, and they'll come back next year and be better. Granted. None of that matters because next year doesn't matter for Oregon and Colorado because they're not going to play each other. This year, however, secondary has been good. Like Matt, you've been asking questions this week about that they've had 10 interceptions and it leads the country and they're kind of a ball hawk team and they're a havoc team, as Dan described them. That's going to be, you know, they're going to play that, they're going to try to trick you into throwing the ball and say, hey, look, here's an open guy over here, but really we're just kind of lurking and we're going to jump the route. Um, for for Bo Nix he can't he obviously can't put the ball in jeopardy he's done that really honestly just once this season against Texas Tech where it was almost an interception and then it turned into an incompletion those are the plays that Colorado is going to live off Um, Colorado State had three or four turnovers in their game Uh, obviously they had 18 or 17 penalties which is a, a crazy amount of penalties like but if, if you eliminate half those penalties and half those turnovers, especially the shot of Sanders pick six, like that's a game Colorado State wins. So yep. their defense is looking to have you make mistakes. And with Oregon's offensive line against this defensive line, I would imagine Colorado tries to get really exotic in their blitz packages because that worked from Texas Tech. Texas Tech got a couple pressures and they got a sack on Knicks because they had exotic bl- blitz packages, which is kind of what Tim DeRuiter was known for before he came to Oregon and now after he's after he left Oregon <laughs> yeah like that it's gonna be it's if I were uh, Kelly if I were Kelly I would try to go in that exotic blitz package just to make things a little bit harder for Oregon's offensive line because maybe they haven't seen some of these things but on the flip side it's a very 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 similar defense to what Oregon runs and fun fact, Oregon plays against Oregon every day in practice. And it's going to be (laughs) a defense very similar to what Oregon's offense sees every day in practice. I'm not saying that they're going to, you know, manhandle and score 85 points again, but this could be, it could be an advantage for Oregon or Colorado could just come out and do something completely different that they've never seen at practice. And then it becomes a real issue. But um, I think it's, I don't think it's right necessarily to sleep on them because they've got a lot of athletes, but like Matt said, like they just don't look great in games. It doesn't, it hasn't really translated on the field, the talent that they've acquired. And, you know, I'm just interested to see what it looks like. I haven't done a whole lot of in-depth research on or film study on what they do and what they do well, but it just kind of feels like Oregon last year with the new defense. Like the, the guys are probably there. The talent is there. It just hasn't all clicked. people, haven't all gotten together. And when you're Travis Hunter and you're just naturally gifted and talented like he is, then it works for him. But for other guys,
0: it may not have. This game feels like one where Jared's right. Like Colorado's going to get super exotic. We're probably going to see some funky things. We're going to see a lot of simulated pressure because that's, that's the way when, when you don't have the players to dominate physically, You've got to put them in schematically in positions to confuse your opponent. And this just feels like that game where we could see some crazy stuff defensively or some weird looks or some weird blitzes, you know, just to get Oregon off time, you know, off schedule just by a little bit and make a mistake. And, you know, Bo was asked Saturday night after the win at Hawaii about no turnovers through three games. And he joked about how, like, don't jinx it yet, you know, but that's like a pivotal reason why you know some of these games that have have been blowouts or in texas Tech's case like oregon was able to come back because tech gave the ball away and oregon didn't and that gave opportunities for oregon to come back and and win the game and oregon can't give colorado extra opportunities and that's how colorado's defense gets the stops is force a funky play, get a turnover and give the ball back to Shooter Sanders to do something crazy. Like that, that seems like to be their formula.
1: I had a couple of thoughts left on the defense before we wrap. Um, Matt was calling them terrible. Dion today said at times they looked like hot garbage. So Matt's not the only one verbally taking some shots at the Colorado defense. Even the coach is acknowledging it hasn't been great. So, Hopefully that shoots down people in the comments who are like, Matt's being overly critical. No, their coach says that they've been hot garbage at times. Um, and then the, to, to the point we've talked about with some of the getting exotic stuff, you feel really good about the quarterback at Oregon and how he might handle different looks. You worry a little bit just about the lack of chemistry and experience the guys in front have had if that is mm-hmm. the case and how to handle that. I will also acknowledge, for all the criticism we've had of the offensive line, PFF has them graded as the best pass-blocking offensive line in the entire country right now, and actually by a decent margin. So Physically, they're up for the task. My concern would be mentally how are they going to handle that? Because you look at the guys that they start, both tackles are really, really athletic. Marcus Harper, for all of his faults, is a very good pass-blocking interior lineman. Stephen Jones is a Huge person, and you put him next to an athletic guy like Cornelius. And as long as he can get out of his stance and take a few steps back, and he's not going to get bull rushed at all. And then JPJ is just really, really good at everything. So I like all the individual pieces. When Oregon is throwing the football, there's a reason they've given up one sack and very few pressures. Bo plays into it because he's so heady. But you do kind of wonder if, hey, if Colorado's going to get really creative and throw different looks and bring pressure from all sorts of different places that would be my one concern is are they how prepared is this group for handling just the the nuance and the different things? Because they haven't seen a ton of it. And when they did see a little bit against tech, they they did give up the one sack.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. It's going to do it for us here on the Austin audibles podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. We'll be back later this week. Uh, Eric said, Adam, Munster Tiger will be on the show to give us, a full inside look into the Colorado Buffalo program, Deion Sanders, and more. Uh, And then we'll also have our game prediction and bold prediction podcast that comes out Thursday. Until the next one, you've been listening to the Odds and Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.